If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Sunday, the 29th of August, 1971. Since the year's turn, Britain had seen eight months of chaos. With postal workers on strike, Rolls-Royce in bankruptcy, Northern Ireland a political powder keg, elected racist Enoch Powell still banging on about the rivers of blood, unemployment at its highest level since the end of the Second World War. And yet the most talked about news story was bad boy show jumper Harvey Smith being stripped of his medal for flicking a V-sign at the judges. The country was full of strikes, riots and protests, as the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. But in Leatherhead, 16 miles south of London, everything was tranquil. As 47-year-old groundskeeper Norman Stones kept the greens and fairways of Leatherhead Golf Club pristine and immaculate. With 15 years under his belt, Norman kept to a strict routine. He'd state, As the greenkeeper's hut is close to the 10th hole bunker, I finished up my weekend duties, arrived at the bunker at 7.40am, I raked it over, and I finished off the 10th green. Being two hours after dawn, the club was opening in minutes, and with the weather predicted to be 26 degrees with barely any wind, the course that day would be busy. On the front crest of the centre of the bunker, I found lying there a bone, about 18 inches long, which was covered in dirt. I recall it having a knuckle at one end and a smaller knuckle at the other. Having been stripped of meat, cartilage and skin, with the ends gnawed 
as a hungry beast had feasted on the juicy marrowbone inside. I guess some fox had had a good meal. And with August being the month where the Todds and Vixens leave their litter of cubs to fend for themselves, it was just another bone. Maybe a deer, maybe a dog. And with the shift ending, a brew on, and hearing the slow roar of Bentley's Mercs and Beamers pulling up outside of the clubhouse, I threw it away into the rough to the right of the bunker. And thinking no more of it, Norman Stones went home. It was a good day to play golf, as was the following Monday and the Tuesday. But nearby, a fox was still famished. Comprising 130 acres of lush greens and tamed roughs, Leatherhead Golf Course isn't the kind of place that any pleb could just wander into by mistake. As with the nearest train station being one and a half miles south, the only road being the A243 Chessington to Leatherhead Road, and outside, an infrequent bus stop serving the golf course's workers and any walkers on Ashton Common. The average 18-hole game is unlikely to be disturbed by a family picnic, a rogue football landing on the fairway, or a dog taking a dump on a tee. Surrounded by no flats, no shops and no car parks, the only houses are a smattering of millionaires' mansions on the exclusive Pakisham estate. And being encircled by a thick, dense woodland of tightly packed trees and rough spiky shrubs, the course itself is not only private and secluded, but often impenetrable. On Wednesday the 1st of September 1971, at 3.40pm, Dennis Harold O'Flynn, a dentist from nearby Fetcham, was on the fairway of the ninth hole. With a good clean stroke, his ball landed about 100 yards, roughly 300 feet from the 10th fairway. Only his eyes weren't focused on the little white orb he had whacked a good distance, but the obstacle beside it. Stopping dead, Dennis stated, At first, I thought it was the limb of an animal. Not being a gnawed clean bone, like Norman had found barely 200 feet away, but a limb with skin, sinew and meat. I turned it over with my foot to see what it was. Only this wasn't a piece of a slaughtered beast, but a human's. At 40 centimetres long, although this left forearm and fist once weighed about two and a half kilos, it now weighed a kilo less. As with strips of soiled flesh having been ripped away, what remained was a rotten length of partially decomposing meat and bone, which reeked of the rancid smell of fetid cabbage. It had once belonged to a woman, who had a life and loved ones, who were very possibly grieving over her disappearance. At least that was the initial suspicion. 
as although each decaying digit was caked in dirt. The nails were neatly manicured, brightly colored, and on her fourth finger were two silver rings. Alerting the police, Dorking CID sealed off the golf course. And with Inspector Brian Richardson and scenes of crime officer PC Raymond Woodman arriving at 7.35pm, as the slowly dimming sun made it too dark to do anything useful, the fist and the forearm were removed for preservation. That night, a memo was faxed to all the UK police forces, stating, Part of a white female was discovered at Leatherhead. At present, the identity is unknown, and it is requested that statements be obtained from parents or guardians of all white female missing persons over the age of 15 years, including full descriptions and any particulars of jewellery worn. The details were vague, but that was all that they had. At that point, no one was saying it was a murder, as with it possibly being a prank by a medical student, a misplaced biohazard bag from a hospital, or an issue with a freshly dug grave. They could do nothing till the morning. Thursday the 2nd of September, 1971. Dawn. Headed up by Detective Chief Inspector Philip Doyle of Dorking and Leatherhead CID. Given the likelihood that there could be more body parts or pieces strewn across the area, a search team of police officers, sniffer dogs and volunteers was established. As although the golf course itself was 130 acres, the wider area of dense woodland and impenetrable scrubland on Ashton Common was three times larger. The equivalent of 330 football pitches, only thick with nettles, boggy ditches and fallen trees. At the same time, in the mortuary at Epsom Hospital, Dr. Peter Puller, the Home Office pathologist, examined the deceased's left forearm and fist as found the day before. With no birthmarks, no scars and no tattoos, there was no way to identify her. With no signs of any diseases or marks of self-defense, how she died was impossible to tell. And with the limb still in a state of decomposition, but having only recently been extricated from a grave, they didn't know how she died or when she was buried. With very little skin slippage, the fingerprints were legible. But being in an era before the police database was computerized, it would take a monumental task to link this fingerprint, if they even had her in their files, to a missing woman of unknown age, height, weight or origin who had died somewhere in Britain, Europe, or even further abroad, at any time between the last few weeks, months, or even years. Without further information, 
the best piece of evidence they had was her rings. That day, most local and regional newspapers published the following details. Two rings are the vital clues that may identify the woman whose hand and forearm were found last night on the 10th hole of Leatherhead Golf Course. Ring 1 is of plain silver-like white metal and on the inside is inscribed 835. Ring number 2 is also of plain white metal with a circular concave amber stone set into tiny diamantes. It was a long shot, as with several women having recently gone missing in this area alone, any hint at who this woman might have been was a step closer to giving her grieving family peace and this woman a proper burial. But as Detective Chief Inspector Doyle would bluntly state, the rings are very important for identification, but at the moment, I'm more interested in finding the rest of the body. It may sound callous, but with the remaining parts potentially exposed to the elements, it was a race against time before any evidence was destroyed forever. That day, as 38 police tracker dogs combed a square mile of young forest and rough shrubland surrounding the 10th hole, just 150 yards from the spot where the fist and forearm were found, the dog sniffed out a partially chewed, seven-inch fragment of a female human tibia, stripped clean by wild animals. Later that day, Groundskeeper Norman Stones directed the police to a spot, stating, I forgot it until the morning I read about the arm being found on the 10th fairway. Assuring the detectives, I'd been there on Saturday and the bone, determined to be a female's right femur, wasn't there at 7.40am. So far, all they had was pieces, a left forearm and fist, and two bones of a right leg. Then at 5 p.m., across the Leatherhead Chessington Road, in a patch of dense trees in Ashton Wood, barely 20 yards from the bus stop, scenes of crime officer PC Woodman found a very shallow grave. Having been unearthed by the feverish claws of ravenous foxes, lured to the spot by the scent of decay, lay a grip holdall with a zip. Having already feasted on the right leg and possibly dropped the left forearm having been spooked, in the back lay a right arm in two sections, the remaining parts of a right leg and a left leg from the hip to the foot dissected into two, which was still wearing a size 4 blue carpet slipper. Examined on site by Dr. Puller, he confirmed that each limb had been dissected using a hacksaw at an angle of roughly 45 degrees. But rather than cutting through hard bone and rubbery sinew, they'd been severed at the weakest point, the joints, which were only held together by muscles and ligaments. 
So did the person who dismembered her have a knowledge of biology or butchery? Each limb found in the holdall was meticulously wrapped in a generic plastic sheeting and secured by a white, commonly available string, bound several times and tied in a very simple granny knot. This wrapping had delayed the decomposition of the limbs, which thus posed the question, was this to ensure that the rotting body would never be found, or to make it more difficult to work out when she had died? None of the limbs showed any signs of dislocation or breaks. And although all of the fingernails were clean and unbroken, the delicate bones of her fractured hand showed subtle signs of defensive wounds. Somehow, somewhere, this unidentified woman had suffered a violent death. But who was she? How had she died? And why had someone gone to great lengths to dismember and disguise her corpse? Monday the 6th of September, 1971, four days later. At 10.50 a.m., a second grave was found. As part of the volunteer search team, Edward Henry Churcher was a 71-year-old homeless man who had spent 30 years sleeping rough in Leatherhead. Described as a recluse with a great knowledge of Ashton Woods, he told the police... I noticed a gap in a path. I spotted a depression in the soil, started prodding, and when I moved away the top earth, a few inches of leafy mold, I saw a woman's torso. Amidst the dense woodland, and just 15 yards from the first grave, at just 36 inches wide by 30 inches long and 16 inches deep, this grave was shallower than the first, as whoever had dug it had struggled to dig through the fibrous roots of a young tree, and yet still she was buried there. But if her killer had been so careful to dismember the body parts into individual chunks, why had they buried the limbs and the torso in two separate graves, but situated them both so close together? As with the limbs, she'd been wrapped in a polythene sheet and tied with string. Only instead of being found in a grip holdall with a zip, the torso was hidden inside of a dark hessian sack, now badly degraded. Again, severed at the shoulder joints and the neck at the 6th and 7th cervical vertebrae at a 45 degree angle using either an 18 or 22 bladed hacksaw, a tool commonly found in most hardware shops. Scars made it clear that she'd once had an appendectomy and at some point a full hysterectomy. Based on the weight and size, the pathologist determined this was the torso of a large-breasted woman of medium build. Having recently shaved her armpits, that maybe she was in a relationship and that along with the slipper, with her still wearing a bra, a navy blue slip, and a pink woolen housecoat, 
it was likely that she died in a place she was comfortable in. Maybe her own bed. Once again, there was nothing in the grave to identify her. No purse, no papers, and no personal items. And yet at chest height, on the tree, using a penknife, the letter N had been carved. But was it a clue? Or was a killer deliberately taunting the police? Monday the 6th of September 1971. That same day, at 3.40pm, a third grave was found. Using the same technique that homeless recluse Edward Churcher had used to find the second grave, just 15 yards further into the dense woodland and under a few inches of decaying moss and leaves, PC Robert Duck unearthed the package. Inside the remains of a rotten cardboard box, it hadn't been wrapped in plastic and bound with string, but swathed in a copy of the Evening Standard was a head. So serious had the investigation become that Detective Chief Superintendent Peter Sheming of Scotland Yard's murder squad was called in to impart his expertise as Dorking wasn't a murder hotspot. With the head severed at the 6th and 7th vertebrae, using a small-bladed hacksaw at a 45-degree angle which matched the wounds of the torso, this was very clearly from the same woman but along with the newspaper, with the skull not wrapped in an airtight plastic, but the very permeable material of a fawn woolen cardigan and an orange cotton tea towel. The head was mummified and unrecognisable. But was this deliberate? As with her skin having putrefied into a waxy sheen and her eyes having been eaten by maggots, most of her features had rotted away. So all they could tell was that she was a white female, likely in her 40s, with several fillings, neck-length brown hair with strands of grey, and with a semicircular depressed fracture at the back of her skull, she had been brutally bludgeoned to death. Someone had hated her, as in a fit of rage and anger, they'd repeatedly smashed in her skull until a massive brain hemorrhage had left her paralyzed. And at her killer's sadistic whim, they had sliced her up. Her death was slow, painful, and terrifying. As she would have been unable to shout or even scream. Based on her savage wounds and exacting disposal, DCS Sheming described her killer as a monster. And yet, inside of each grave, this monster had laid a bunch of red roses. On Tuesday the 7th of September 1971, 
even though her right leg, part of her left arm, and her little finger were still missing. An autopsy of what remained of this unknown woman was conducted at Epsom Mortuary. These pieces were a patchwork of body parts in various states of decay, with the pathologist stating of the skull, when the polythene sheeting was removed, as well as the wrapping of a shirt, a cardigan, and a tea towel, the presence of adipocere, an anaerobic bacteria which putrefied the fatty tissues of her face. The skin was completely deteriorated, with its consequent loss of any facial features. The details they had were vague at best. A white, possibly European middle-aged female, of average height, 5 of 4, average weight, 8 stone, and a common blood group, O negative, who did several operations in the last two decades, which, based on the scars, occurred in a hospital. Of the clothes she was found wearing or wrapped in, even if the labels hadn't degraded beyond the point of which they were legible, her clothing was so commonplace, it was impossible to identify her by those. Miraculously, her killer's scrupulous sealing of the torso and limbs in plastic had a preservative effect which retained the flesh in an excellent condition, as there were no advanced signs of decomposition. Therefore, unusually, for a body which had been buried for so long, the pathologist was able to take blood, hair and liver samples, vaginal and anal swabs, as well as determining that, based on the contents of her stomach, that the last meal she ate was eggs. But even these new clues only led to dead ends, as there were no additional signs of any assault or injury. She hadn't been drugged or poisoned, and with no semen or sexual violence, she hadn't been raped. Blood was found under her fingernails, and although determined to be human, there was too little to group. Based on the mummification of the head, she'd been buried for at least two years. And although the hessian sack in which the torso was found in contained traces of coal dust, iron ore and red oxide, similar sacks were later found nearby, which the killer may have used to throw detectives off the scent. An identification, at that point, was impossible. Closer examination determined that death occurred owing to a three-inch depressed fracture at the back of the skull, with extensive fragmentation of the bones extending towards the face. To cause the injuries, it would have been necessary to deliver multiple blows, at least three and probably more, using a flat blunt object of indeterminate origin. And consistent with the bedclothes she was found in, they were probably sustained while the deceased was lying down. But what kind of a monster would attack a woman in her own bed? Only to slice her up, remove her ID but not her jewellery, destroy her eyes but not her teeth, neatly package her limbs but not her head, 
and then bury her severed body parts in three separate but shallow graves within yards of each other with a bunch of red roses and then cut what may have been the first initial of her name into a tree. The detectives suspected they were dealing with someone who was clever, patient and methodical. A devious and cunning killer whose severe lack of empathy made him capable of committing such an abhorrent act. Only to taunt the officers by seeming to leave clues, yet deliberately destroying others. But who was this monster? What about the greenskeeper, Norman Stones? A criminal who'd spent 36 months in prison, with his last conviction being just 10 months prior. A solitary man who spent many hours alone, knew every ditch on the golf course, had a tool shed by the 10th hole bunker, which was full of spades, pickaxes and hacksaws, and was the first person to claim he found a bone four days before the fist and the forearm only to toss it into the rough and only come forward when it became national news and the first grave was discovered. What about Edward Churcher? The elderly homeless recluse, whose remarkable knowledge of Ashton Woods helped the police find the second grave. Under inches of leafy moss, across an impenetrable 438-acre site, and all within a few days. A lonely man with a need for acceptance and recognition, having spent a total of 14 years in prison for burglary, theft, possession of an offensive weapon, and 11 convictions for the indecent sexual assault of both boys and girls, with some of them as young as eight. Or what about the undiscovered murderer of Roy Tuttle? a 14-year-old boy whose body was found three and a half years earlier, two miles south, and on the same stretch of road which passes the Leatherhead Golf Course. Was this a coincidence? Or was a serial killer in their midst? Every suspect was considered. But after thorough questioning and providing a traceable alibi, all of them were ruled out. The detectives were left with a seemingly unsolvable mystery. An unidentifiable body buried in a series of undateable shallow graves having been murdered swiftly, but dismembered slowly. The site itself was so impenetrable, even though a busy road was just 15 yards away, there were no witnesses to the crime. And after several years of being foraged by foxes, feasted by insects, and battered by wind and rain, although it retained no fingerprints or footprints, it was unlikely she was dismembered there. Like a needle in a haystack, the police were seeking a woman, maybe a local or a foreigner, 
who was possibly in an abusive relationship with, most likely, a violent man who had no regard for human life. A depraved killer with no care for the loved ones who grieved her loss and prayed for her safe return. And an immoral brute with a bloodlust for cruelty, a skill at butchery, and a thirst to taunt the police. With no idea who she was, the police had no idea who he was, if indeed he was a he. Dubbed a monster by DCS Sheming. Given the lack of evidence at the scene linking the killer or the prey, as the only reason the graves were found was because a fox got hungry, all they were certain of was that in everything this killer did, he was always calm, controlled, and meticulous. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Oh, I think I did all right on that one. Oh, Christ. Oh, I did wonder this first one back. I haven't recorded an episode in two months. Month off recording. I was ahead of the game, so I did an extra month research. Oh, did wonder whether I'd struggle through that. I did all right. That wasn't terrible. That will be okay to edit. Can take your little hat off. Welcome to Extra Mile, everyone. It's been a while, hasn't it? I didn't know whether... 
I prepped to get ready for this. It's kind of, it's, what is it? It's probably half 11. It's 20 past 11. Yeah, so I'm ahead of the game, which is always good. But as I sat down, because um, there's a golf course not too, weirdly, a golf course not too far away from where I'm recording. And I could I could hear the, the groundskeeper doing all of his clearing up. But that's not why I'm blaming the groundskeeper on this one. And then the coots are out. And then the distance down there, I can hear some geese having, a, some Canadian geese going, eee, eee, having a right old, Dewey, and then right just as I'm about to sit down and get started, right in front of me uh, is a house, and someone's got a fence, and they were drilling into their fence. I was like, "No, you bastards!" But um, yeah, it, it turned out all right. So hopefully, hopefully, I haven't messed up the uh, recording. Um, slurp time. You can just hear him in the background. He seems to be drilling into his fence. I don't know what he's doing. I'm not going to go and make a cup of tea, only because I'm using... I, I thought instead of using a ceramic cup, I thought I'd use... Because I have I have one of those recyclable plastic cups that I use. The, the, when you go into a coffee shop, I always make sure I bring one of two recyclable cups. And if even if it's not their one, I always say, are you okay using this one? Because it's, you know, I hate all the waste of a, a plastic cup. And it, this one seems to... I've got a quaffy in it. I come a quaffy and it really seems to hold the, the heat. So I still got my cup. And I can't go and have a cake because I'm back on my diet. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, I, I, I did really well up until Christmas. I, I got rid of loads of weight. And I was I had, I had was having to make an extra notch on my belt, the, the smaller one, which was great. Because I'd lost a lot of weight. And then I pigged out over Christmas like a massive piggy. Like I really, really, really did pig out. And uh, yeah, I've put, I've put, I have added on two more notches. So there we go. So I'm back on the diet now. I'm back on the the, the secret treats of carrots and uh, sometimes falafel. Uh, there we go. And I get loads of fruit and stuff. I'm trying to be a good boy. Trying to be a good boy. Um, so what else have we got? I've just been doing lots of research. Lots and lots of research. Lots of new cases. Uh, this was, this was one that um, I. I I knew about ages ago and I'd stumbled into it in the archives ages ago and I don't know why for some reason I kept putting it off I don't know why I really didn't and then when I had time to go back into the archives I pulled it out and I thought I started re-going back through it going through all the details and I was like this is this is a nice juicy case there's something really exciting about it so um I'm gonna I'm going to try and be really careful about this bit on extra mile because I don't want to give away too much because it's a four-parter. Uh, I haven't written uh, parts two, three, and four. I'm doing it that way this time. I'm uh, doing one and then... Because sometimes you, sometimes you edit bits out. Quite often I edit bits out and then I think to myself, oh, shit, how am I going to get those bits back in? Whereas if I edit bits out of here, of what I've just recorded, because obviously by this point I haven't edited it yet, by the time I start writing episode two in a couple of days' time, I'll have, I'll know what I've edited out, so I can put them back in. Sometimes that's the joy of um, the joy of doing this. So uh, uh, editing it that way. Whereas if you write it all together and then you edit it together, you've got to start jumping in and out of edits, and it's a real pain in the ass. Right. Oh, uh, thank you to new patron supporters. So thank you for your patience on this one, because obviously I didn't do any episodes in December. I did a Christmas one, so a New Year's one, so I was able to put some thank yous in there, but I haven't done any in January. So thank you to Scott Morecambe, Michael Sutheran, and Molly Miller. So thank you, Scott, Michael, and Molly. Uh, also thank you to uh, Amanda Sims, Natalie Maxwell, and Lucy Barr for your very kind donations, which came in via the Murder Mile um, 
the Metamar website. I've got a little link that says donating. People can do that. I've again, I've forgotten to check. Acas put a little thing underneath that says support this show. It's it's in the show notes, and you can do that. And I keep forgetting because they because they don't send you an email to say hey you've got a donation, which they should do. They they just I think because they don't care. They just they're just like oh give us our cut because they they get a cut of that. Um, so I'm so I keep forgetting to check. So yeah, um, I'm going to check that. Uh, what else is going on? Oh, um, I'm doing a new thing on Patreon now. So every Thursday, so when this episode goes out uh, that evening, if you're a Patreon supporter, it doesn't matter what tier you want. If you're a Patreon supporter, uh, I'll be treating you to something little. So it's a little episode that goes out, and what I will do each week is I'll find uh, a document that no one's heard before. I mean as with all these cases they're all kind of cases that you won't have heard of before or you won't know the full details so uh, same with me as well that's why I love picking these cases that no one's heard of and then because I've got access to all this stuff that no one else has what I do for patrons is uh, I'll just read it so it might be the autopsy report it might be a witness statement it might be you know it would be things that add to your enjoyment of the episode so that's for all patrons so uh, if you're a patron subscriber it's only I think it's three dollars which is like two pounds uh, a month and you get loads of goodies but the more the higher up the tier you go the more goodies you get so uh, there's lots of goodies lots of goodies let's do some quiz questions uh, and then we'll dive into some extra stuff shortly i'm gonna have a little swig of a quaffy cup of quaffy oh yummy that's that's a tepid mmm yummy yeah tepid uh coffee decaf coffee with uh oat milk one sugar and it's tepid mmm does life get any better so let's do some quiz questions um it's 10 in total we'll do the answers at the end so here we go question number one what hole on the golf course was the first bone found who uh question number two uh what is the name what, what is the name of a male or f- male come on michael what is the name of a male and female fox so i mentioned that very early in the episode what is the name of a male and female fox Question number three. What job did the golfer who found the forearm and fist do? I'm terrible at writing these questions. Question number four. What was what was on the fourth finger of the, the victim's left hand? Question number five. How big was the golf course in acres? Question number six. In which hospital was the mortuary in? Question number seven, how many police tracker dogs were used? Question number eight, who found the first grave? Question number nine, what size was the blue carpet slipper? And question number ten, what angle was each limb dissected at? So there you go, lots of questions there. Um, I, with, with, with this uh, episode... Uh, the more the more I start going through the files, the more I started realizing that there's so much to tell. And normally, normally we do an episode where I dive into uh, who the victim is right at the start. But the crime scene itself was so fascinating that actually, the, the, I was going to do it as a three part. But I realized that there was so much information there for part one that was fascinating that in order to make it a three part, I'd have to really rush through stuff. So I really thought. This is one of those episodes where before we find out about the victim, before we find out about the killer, just having a look at the crime scene is is fascinating because there's so much there. There's so much to take on board. And 
uh, it, it really, I try not to give away too much. It really will give, it gives you an interesting insight into the victim and the killer for later on. So there's a lot in there that is packed in that we'll come to later on. And don't worry, we will, this, this will be fully concluded. This isn't going to be one of those ones where I go, oh, we don't know who he is. We we know who the killer is. We know who the victim is. So don't worry about that. That's all. That's solved. That's solved. You can you can sit back and relax. But it's 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 a fascinating case. And the more I started going through the research for this, the more I was like, this is this is something that I've never seen before. And it's one of these cases that barely got any coverage. So there we go. Um, Leatherhead Golf Course. Uh, interesting time of year uh, for the golf course, especially so it's August time. Given the fact that it's uh, covered in uh, uh, very much wooded areas it, there's a lot of foxes around there you tend to get a lot, a lot of foxes um so for for the research for this i had to do a lot of research on foxes uh, <laughs> uh so mating season is in january by july the parents uh, begin to provide less food for their children uh, the, the kind of the cubs to encourage them to go fending for themselves um so by august the cubs begin to forage and become less dependent on their parents so they're sniffing out things they're learning to kind of smell um different foods decaying meat you know they're always on the lookout for meat and things that they can eat um and this is kind of key because we needed to know about them digging up the graves as we've seen these graves are not deep then bodies are normally buried around 18 inches deep which is what's that about a foot and a half not much that was the maximum they were normally buried before you would start seeing um uh, body parts so for a fox not really a problem to start digging that up they're kind of they've got good digging paws they've got good nails uh good claws um they've got incredible noses so even though the bodies were buried underneath it's interesting that when you look at it with the head the head de- wasn't wrapped properly and decayed first and therefore it was quite mummified and you you could say well why didn't the foxes find that but if you think about it there's not really a lot of meat around a head it tends to be a lot of water which would have drained out and it, and it did mummify very quickly whereas because the legs uh and the limbs and the torso i think it was the legs they're going for because they're quite meaty and maybe i don't know we don't quite know how they came to be able to smell it maybe they've got amazing noses or maybe maybe there was a tear in the uh the the plastic wrapping or maybe you know insects managed to get into it and burrow through the plastic wrapping and that's how they were able to smell it so for that reason they were they went for the legs and arms first therefore this is why we focus on the dates of the uh, the, the decomposition of the, the limbs because you've got the limbs which look almost fresh so that means that it's likely that the foxes would have got to the limbs probably at the start of August maybe maybe a week before maybe they just got it uh, maybe the heat had kind of made them decay a little bit faster there wasn't a lot of decomposition but you know they've got great noses and they can dig in and start foraging uh, for food um also why i put in kind of the sizes of of the limbs and their kind of weights and things like that is because i when you look at the one piece of the i think it was a femur that uh norman stones the green keeper found uh when you look at that uh, it's cut it's kind of light i think they said it was about um what was it it was 18 inches and it had been stripped clean so it was quite light by that point um but with the the fist and forearm that was two what they say two and a half kilos i i i spent a long time working out her weight and then working out 
the weight of each individual body part don't worry it all comes into play later on in the episode it really does this is required a lot of a lot of individual research to find all the little details that weren't fully in the police file they, they didn't do a terrible job they did a great job but they're just details that didn't go need to go into the police file so i had to find them myself but when you're thinking about it if you've got the cubs the fox cubs out looking for food and they've dug up an arm and a fist or my, my belief is why it was left on the middle of the golf course is could be it was too heavy too heavy for a young cub to be able to carry it or maybe they were spooked so we don't know um i was going to do a whole thing about what happened in the world at that time it's interesting time uh big earthquake in china ten thousand people dead the apollo 13 mission had been aborted uh disband disbandment of the beatles ted heath had become prime minister idi amin uh, had led a coup what else was going on there was uh, a lot of vietnam war was still raging on uh but instead i focused on britain 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 um so the initial find this was uh norman stone so 47 year old norman stone a greenskeeper been on the job for 15 years uh he said as the greenskeeper's hut is close to the bunker because that's the quiz question uh i finished up my weekend duties here on sunday the 29th of august 1971 i arrived at the bunker at 7 40 a.m so he's because the weekends are really busy he has to work like early in the morning uh and he finishes just before it opens uh he raked over the bunker and he was just finishing on that green um on the crest of the center of the bunker i found there lying a bone which was covered in dirt it was roughly around 18 inches long i recall it having a knuckle at one end and a smaller knuckle at the other so that matches a femur perfectly uh, i picked it up with my left hand and threw it into the rough on the right of the bunker and fairway i thought it was rather large and remarked to some colleague some five minutes later and said probably some fox had had a good meal don't forget this is kind of a a golf course so he's used to seeing things like that he's used to seeing like animal carcasses and bones and you know could have been a, a large fox it could have been a dog it could have been a deer you know you just don't know and if you think about it you don't really think to yourself oh today i'm gonna go and find part of a dead body um it's just not something you really think of uh so what else was there done that i'm not going to say too much about that because that also gives away a quiz question the discovery of the arm and the hand so that was four days later so by this point given the fact that i think they could that was grave one was the initial grave that the the first grave that they found which had uh an arm and a leg so the arm was out on the golf course one of the legs uh had been devoured so that was what they couldn't find there was i think there was a piece of an arm that they couldn't find and then one leg i can't remember which was it was at the moment um and uh, so in there was the hold all so the foxes had clearly got into that one grave and had taken an arm and a leg but there were two left in there so it shows that it was relatively recent probably you know week maybe two weeks we don't know um the area around it is quite it's quite quash quite quash that's not even a word well it is it's quite posh and private it's the uh pakisham estate uh one of the people who lived there around the time was max bygraves the comedian he was a 1970s quite a big tv comedian lots of wealthy 
People live there, big houses, swimming pools, lots of executives, film stars, mostly golf twats. Uh, and they, they all they all live there because they all want to be near the golf course. Oh, brilliant. Let's go and hit a small ball. Fantastic. Um, one, the guy who found the arm, um, it's interesting with this that he found it at 3.40 p.m. So either the golf course was dead that day, either he was the only person who'd made it to the 10th fairway which is weird it, it is midweek so this is the time when people really should be at work rather than pissing around on a golf course um but he was there it, 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 he didn't say in any of his statements whether he was with anyone else we don't have another witness statement to corroborate this but um yeah he just whacked his ball it went down the fairway uh and then he noticed what he thought i think he said it, he thought it was a, a part of an animal which you know you probably find find on the golf course at any point except except it had fingers and it had two rings so as mentioned in the uh two rings were found on the for, uh, forearm one was plain silver white metal a continental style ring we go into this more next week and it was inscribed inside with 835 so that will be the hallmark uh, ring two is a plain white metal and circular concave amber stone set in tiny diamantes uh, and this was placed on the wedding finger on the woman's left hand uh, both rings were heavily tarnished and inexpensive um which obviously everything with this makes it really difficult isn't it because she's got she's got no identification at all she's got nothing that really identifies her she doesn't have she doesn't have tattoos she has some scars but who doesn't um as mentioned all of the scars uh were for operations which were done in a hospital so you know i mean if you think about it she's she's a woman potentially in her 40s potentially from this country but maybe not uh, she's had appendicitis so an appendectomy and a hysterectomy it doesn't really narrow it down really um don't forget we don't know what color her eyes are because her eyes don't exist anymore we know that she uh, has brown hair but it's kind of graying so she obviously dyes her hair uh she shaves her armpits that really doesn't narrow it down she she's got f- uh, fingernail polish that doesn't narrow it down she's manicured that doesn't narrow it down um the clothing that she's wearing her bed clothes um are quite quite ordinary do you know i mean who really who really wears posh except eva obviously i mean sometimes she wears nothing um well she makes me wear nothing as i sit at the end of her bed curled up like a little puppy making making sounds but that's that's just that's just my life um yeah but no one if you think about it it's like even if you're a posh person like oh look at me look at my you know twats who love to go around and go oh look at me look how great i am look at my posh clothes this isn't who i really am but this is who i want to pretend that i am but when you go to bed who really gives a fuck like you just wear the cheapest shit as long as it's comfortable i think i think i personally do so uh a pair of pants pop on a pair of pants that'll do it um so it, it doesn't really tell us a lot it tells us that she was most certainly uh, probably killed in the evening maybe or the morning maybe that she was in bed she could have been up um she was wearing a slipper so i would suggest that she probably wasn't asleep i know that the um the pathologist said it was likely that she was killed lying down or asleep but she could have been lying down on bed wearing a slippers some people do that i personally wouldn't i'd always take off my slippers but there we go so it still doesn't narrow it down it still doesn't narrow down who she is and where she could have been 
Of course, this could have been a prank, as mentioned in the episode. Could be a medical student fucking around. We had that with the episode that I did uh, pieces with the body parts that were found in West London at the train station and on the, the in in the canal. And even at that point, they kept thinking this could be a medical student. If you think about it, they have access. You know, when you're a medical student, you you have to you use dead bodies to in order to to work on you know uh, chopping up chopping chopping off limbs or you know, doing repairs. I think it's that thing you used to be able to earn money for years ago, where you could while you're still alive you could have a medical student remove your little toe and then sew it back on because apparently you know you don't you don't need it that much and you could, i think you could earn what i was told was you could earn like 500 quid which back then was a decent patch of money and i did consider it once but we've all been there we've all been there um police on the scene uh they, they arrived by the time they got there it was 7 35 p.m so we are at that point uh about an hour and 20 before dusk uh so police arrived they made their way over to the 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 hole i'm not going to say which one they saw the arm and the hand and because it was outside in the elements obviously they photographed it and the first thing they did was bag it and preserve it because they knew that it was going to start decaying really fast uh, it was the same with that with the head and the torso especially the head the head had already started to mummify and they knew because it because because they dug up the grave as soon as you dig up the grave you introduce air into the uh element and there you got the um uh, i've already mentioned it in here the the uh the the corpse wax which is uh basically that you got the little microbes and they start eating into the fat into your skin and then that produces what they call corpse wax wax and therefore you know when you see a dead body they, they look almost wax life that is kind of the remnants of what they create so the wax is stripped out all the facial features start to disappear and that's because of that so uh they they knew there would be a problem by by leaving it there so uh they bagged it up they took it over to the mortuary that where they could put it into a freezer and kind of well a fridge kind of keep it cool and therefore that would give them time to kind of examine it which is kind of a blessing with the um the torso the torso was kind of fascinating this what this is what really th- threw them off at the start was the the fact that the the limbs were so well preserved so they initially did think this is a relatively new case on the original police report that went out they thought that uh, she died within the last two years and in fact um they initially thought that her age was probably early 20s so they started doing reports for people in their early 20s but the more body parts they started finding the more they realized that they'd be wrong so especially when they when they found out you know that she she'd had a hysterectomy that she'd had appendicitis that her hair uh, had started to gray obviously they because there were no features on the face they couldn't see wrinkles or anything like that but they were able to determine that you know she was older than they thought and they kind of narrowed it down to kind of late 40s ish 40s late 40s which is not not far off not far off uh what else have we got search teams done that done a vast area vast area we, I, I won't give away the clue on here but as mentioned in here the area they had to cover was 330 golf courses three, so 330 football pitches worth and if you consider even if you have a look if you, you can go on google maps now because the, the the course hasn't changed and if you type in leatherhead golf course and then you've got the a 243 just outside which is the leatherhead Ch- uh, chessington road 
and actually the entrance is right next to where if you if you, if if you're looking north and to the left is Leatherhead Golf Course or the entrance to Leatherhead Golf Course and you look to the right the right the dense woodland there is where the graves were so about about 15 to 20 yards in heading that way so not too far away from the road which is kind of uh, a bit baffling but even when you look at that the the trees aren't too far off how they were back in the 70s so uh, it's incredibly dense woodland it's not like a tree and then there's like 20 feet and then another one this is kind of an area where there's trees like every two feet so it's really hard to get through there's a lot of scrubland um it's one of those places where you kind of find deers running around because they know they're going to be safe in there because no one can kind of chase them in there uh, but for the killer potentially a good place to kind of bury bodies except you've got a lot of new trees there a lot of long branches underneath which is what he found he found or was it he or was it she uh they found uh, <laughs> they found um that some places were easy to dig but others weren't but obviously you know it's a really difficult place to bury a body uh what else is that i think i think that's it i don't want to yeah I, i'm not gonna do too much because i've still got to do four episodes and i don't want to give away stuff that's coming ahead i've probably already given away too much already so let's let's do uh this i'm gonna do this so i'm gonna go into town i'm gonna meet um gonna go out for a couple of beers with um oh oh my brain is gone why has my brain died today um bob 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 from oh what's bob's podcast i can't remember i I'm, in my head i've got true crime fix it's not true crime fix it'll come back to me in a second Oh, my brain's just not working today. I'm just just knackered. Uh, there we go. Let's do, let's do the quiz questions. So um, there we go. All right, quiz quiz. Uh, question number one: What hole on the golf course was the first bone found on? Ooh, uh, it was the tenth hole. Uh, I was going to make a crude joke there, but I won't. Question number two: What is the name? What is the name of a male and female fox? Um, so obviously females are called vixens and males are either called tods or fox oh sorry dog fox question number three what job did the golfer who found the forearm and fist do he was a dentist of course he was he's playing golf question number four uh what was the fourth finger what was on the fourth finger of the victim's left hand well, that's easy. I kind of gave that away in there anyway. It was two rings, of course it was. Uh, question number five. How big was the golf course in acres? That's 130 acres. Question number six. In which hospital was the mortuary? That's at Epsom Hospital. Hospital. Question number four. What? Question number seven. How many police tracker dogs were used? There were 38. Question number eight. Who found the first grave? It was Scenes of Crime Officer PC Woodman. If you're hoping it was going to be uh, PC Robert Duck, he did the uh, third grave. Uh, question number nine. What size was the blue carpet slipper? It was size four. And question number ten. At what angle was each limb dissected? It was at roughly 45 degrees. 
So there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that. That was a. a I, I thought I'd do an episode that's a bit of a thinker, a bit of a, a bit of a, a, a puzzle. Uh, so we can look at this, how the police looked at it, and then go, ooh, ooh, what is going on? It's an interesting one, isn't it? So um, next week, next week, uh, we will dive into more about the victim. So uh, we'll dive into her life and what what may have happened. So I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, that was meticulous part one of four um i'll be back next week and don't forget uh, subscribe to patreon lots of goodies lots of goodies there oh joy uh but before that i'm gonna have maybe i might have a falafel today i might have some falafel that's how exciting my life is have yourself a good week folks stay safe and be good thank you for supporting the show lots of love 5 years younger. In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.